Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Justin Sterling. It means a lot to me that you've made time in your commute to work. Maybe it's over your lunch hour or you're at the gym. Uh, Just trying to find a way that you can do this industry better, from site selection to deal negotiations. Uh, Maybe it's about tech in commercial real estate. And I'm excited about this interview because it touches on so many different things. A while back, I had a chance to get to know Jack Brennan, and when I found on LinkedIn that he was a co-founder of something very cool called the CRE Digital Army, I just had to sit down and have this interview. I think you'll find it enjoyable, educational, and maybe one for the history books. Without any further ado, this is the interview. So we're recording now, so don't say anything that's going to incriminate yourself. <laughs> Appreciate the warning. Uh, <laughs> I'll watch myself. but uh... That's right. So this is going to be a conversation primarily about the digital army. But before we get into what that's about, I want to go back to, I think you and I met at an ICSC cocktail thing that uh, maybe your company was putting together in Charlotte. Yeah. And we, we had a chance to connect. And I was impressed by your authenticity and just genuineness. And it just seemed like we had a, a meaningful connection. You've always you know, impressed me as someone that's going to go far. And when I heard a little bit about the digital army and you were behind it, uh, really you know, promoted me to want to learn more about it. So before we talk about it, tell me a little bit about what you did before you got into commercial real estate and what that journey was like that brought you to where you are today. You know, right out of college, I, uh, I worked for the governor of Ohio. And they had a, uh, I, I had no intention of doing anything in, in politics. It just kind of came about. So uh, I had a, two degrees, um, one in marketing and one in real estate. And um, I was out. Uh, my, my younger sister studied abroad in New Zealand. And I had graduated in December. Her study abroad, we were, my family was like, well, we can go visit her in March. You know, if, if you don't have any work obligations, we'd love for you to come. It's a 14-day trip. And I was like, well... Yeah, that won't be a problem. I will, uh, I'll definitely be there. So I, I moved home back to my parents' place temporarily in the meantime and was literally mowing the front yard. And this was maybe a week or two before the trip. And uh, my parents' neighbor was the communications director for the governor's office. And he said, what are you doing? And I was like, mowing the lawn? He's like, no, no, no. With your life, what are you doing? <laughs> and um, I said, you know, I'm about to go to New Zealand. And he's like, well, there's a job opening at the governor's office. I think you should come in and, and take it, take a look at it. And lo and behold, that's kind of what I did. And I was the, uh, the mail clerk and front desk and, and also did, you know, a little work where you would kind of go out and look at the sites before the governor might, you know, where, where would be the best site for him to do a speech or, you know, checking out what the parking would be like and those kinds of things. So it was, it was a really cool gig. And, um, yeah, I learned a lot in that. And, and part of it was, you know, I really had a passion for marketing that I wasn't able to fulfill in that role. So I moved down to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina to work, excuse me, for a gentleman named Brian Pascal. And he is a phenomenal guy. I mean, he does close to 400 events a year. I mean, that's more than one event a day. And um, the premise behind his pitch was he said, look, this is more of an internship type thing, but I do about 400 events a year. 
in working for me for three months, you will meet 200, 300 some odd people. And, um, you know, in that time, you should be able to network yourself into a position. And I said, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's kind of like the deal process. You know, you can't win every single one deal. You got to talk to lots of different prospects in order to find one that works. And it was, it was awesome. He, you know, with his company, I was able to do more in Charlotte than, you know, most of my friends who had lived there for years already. So um, in that experience, one of the events was um, real estate firms would hire him to do events in the shopping center and basically integrate the restaurants into the retail and make an experience of it. So there's, there's one shopping center called the Phillips place. And basically you started on one end and uh, this was geared towards a female customer and they had them start in the salon and then they would work their way to a retail place. And they had one of the restaurants kind of integrate appetizers into some of the shelving and have a little bar set up and they would move throughout the center and make their way down to the hotel at the very end where they had dessert set up in the hotel lobby. And at that point, I kind of realized this is kind of cool to activate a center and, and consider the merchandising piece to it. And it, it was really from there that sparked my, my interest into real estate. So I reached out to a contact that I had had and I went up, he was in Columbus, Ohio, and I went up to meet with him and he, uh, the meeting was on a Monday. He ended up having to cancel it. He had to be in Dallas and, uh, rescheduled it for Friday. So I, I said, absolutely, I can do it. And I went on Friday and lo and behold, on Wednesday of that same week, they had somebody quit and that was a role in specialty leasing. And so because that meeting shift, when I met with them, they said, you know what, we actually uh, have an opportunity here. If you want to interview, I know you live in Charlotte, but if you want to at least take the interview while you're here, we'd love to, to have you sit down with um, the person who runs the department. And so lo and behold, I got the job offer and, and that's kind of how the story worked. Right on. So what happens after specialty leasing? In that role, I got very fortunate. So I worked out of the corporate office and I did national accounts. So I had administrative tasks, but then they kind of allowed you the opportunity to, to lease on a national scale with, you know, gumball vending. It could be the, um, the little rides in the malls. And I know it seems insignificant when you walk one mall, but when you consider a 119 mall portfolio, that's a significant income stream. And so we would work national carts and kiosks, Spirit Halloween, Toys R Us when they were doing the pop-ups. You know, eventually um, there came a, a breaking point where in order to advance to the next role, I needed boots on the ground in market experience. I didn't get offered a position that I wanted. And I sat down with my boss and asked why. And kind of in that skill set, you know, that, that local market knowledge, canvassing and deal structure were a big component. You know, you can't manage people in a deal process if you don't know how it works. But I, I kind of had talked it over with several different mentors of mine and, and some of the advice that I had gotten was to understand why not. And so part of the feedback was, it's not that we don't like you, but you just, here's some of the qualifications that we were looking for that you don't possess at this point. You know, this next role would require some managerial experience and you've not leased in the field. So it's tough to, you know, manage somebody who you've never you know really done their role and understand it um so it was you know working on different types of deals being in the market having the strategic ability to kind of merchandise from that capacity a lot of what i had done was you know spoken with tenants who who 
work out of, you know, exclusively malls. So what I then looked for was, was those skill sets in the next positions that I, that I was looking at. So retail leasing in general and brokerage seemed to be one that fulfilled all of those requirements was arguably the toughest leasing assignments you could get because you're not guaranteed any income. Um, I ended up selecting a market in Charlotte uh, before I had a job because with the growth that was going there, you got new developments, but you also had, you know, the urban infill projects. You could work on something from, you know, still inline mall space or anchor space to multi-tenant out parcel to grocery anchored center, unanchored strip. I mean, it, there's just so many different uh, varieties of, of properties that you have the ability to get exposure to. Ended up being that um, I got connected with the shopping center group and, and an opportunity presented itself. And I got very, very fortunate with that and have been with them ever since. Four years now. And so somewhere along the way in your experience at shopping center group, you identified a problem in the market that the CRE digital army could solve. Um, if you go to a networking event, you get exposure to different people. I mean, it, for the most part, unless you're like the keynote speaker, you probably meet two to five people that, that maybe you remember and probably one or two that you really stay in contact with. The interesting thing about social media and, and digital is your exposure is far more vast and you really don't have to go out of your way of your normal day to get that. You know, people who are like-minded can find you. Um, clients can find you, tenants can find you, tenant reps can find you, um, even just simple colleagues. So, you know, leveraging the digital piece really helps solve for the time variable in our business because time is really all we're working against. And, and if you can kind of create better exposure, you know, market your properties, show some of the character that you'd have to bring somebody on site to show them, it, it really helps with the process. And from a personal brand standpoint, people get really get to know you. Um, you know, you and I, we're not in the same market. Maybe we can't drive in the car together, you know, every other week. But if I'm posting content that talks about that or, or um, you know, talk about using GPS data, which maybe we would have talked about in a in-face conversation, we still get that opportunity to connect on that topic. And we're at adds value in volume, what does it lack in, in the quality of the connection? I think it augments the, the value of it because you get to know the person themselves, if that makes sense. So yes, not every single person that I reach out to or that might view my story is going to be the fitness tenant that's looking to expand in Charlotte with three units at all of my centers. I mean, that's, that's just not realistic. But you get to connect with people on a different level. Um, and, and one of my current mentors, you know, he and I connected and he was like, man, I didn't even know that you liked wake surfing. That's so cool. And, and that brought us to talking and, and that kind of collaboration and talking about just personal interests inevitably leads to conversation about business down the line or, you know, referrals with other people who do things in your markets. Um, so I think, looking long-term and, and at the full value of it, you connect with people who you personally, you know, on a personal level, and that leads to some of that business later on. Uh, literally this year had a client want to do the listing agreement over fax machine. That's rare. Obviously we're doing a lot more of the digital work. There's still this 
familiarity we have with all of the analog tools and experiences like the networking events, as you focused in on digital, speak to a little bit about how that affects the different demographics in our industry. Sure. And I love your um, DocuSign example. My experience with residential versus commercial is the deal volume. If I am trying to sway somebody you know, with, with where to put budget dollars, the commercial realm, you just don't have as much firepower in terms of like proven metrics, surely because of the deal volume. It's not the same. You know, you, you close way more houses than um, commercial transactions because it just takes longer. So I think that's part of it. Um, I think there's another component to it, though, and, and it has to do with how our economy has, has affected the business. You know, while I was in college, you know, you look at that 08, 09, 2010 depression time frame, it was really tough. I mean, it took a big hit on the commercial industry. And, and if you're commission only, it's tough to stay in it. And then in turn, it's tough to enter into a business where it's just tough to make an income and, and a living. And then now you have the COVID time frame and, and everything that's happening now. Again, you know, you're just trying to make ends meet for yourself. It's hard to bring new people on. So, to- How does it work? Getting people to onboard with posting on LinkedIn or doing a podcast or doing something in the digital space around commercial real estate, there's a lot of tools in that toolbox. Sure. What, is the, what is the reason that someone would invest their time and energy into the tool, the, the community that you're building versus continuing to fly solo and and use these other tools. Right. Um, so the digital army, we don't really have a posting requirement. It's more, you know, LinkedIn just started to do stories. Has anybody done that or talked about it? It's something that people are just naturally excited about. You had a, a low week. It's it, There's no tracking. Um, so it's, it's creative minds that are just brainstorming together. And, you know, maybe somebody had a really sweet video that week and, and you talk to them and, and see kind of, oh, do, how did you do that? Did you do that in InShot? And then everyone's like, yeah, yeah, what's InShot? Can we hear about that? Is that, a, is that cool? And maybe the next week, you know, we do a little tutorial on, on InShot and talk about it. But the, the conversations, there's no agenda. It's just really organic. And, and that's the beauty of it is, you know, it's not, we need to pick the best people in social media in Charlotte. And if some of them aren't really into it, we still need them there because we need 10 people. This is whoever is interested, you're welcome to be on it. If you can't make it, that's great too. But you're getting the passionate people where we just enjoy it. And in terms of what that brings to the industry, I mean, for my specific partnership at the shopping center group, I don't think that digital is better than you know the traditional. I think they both work hand in hand. I think a lot of younger people, what I and this is just a little sidebar, but it's really important for, for people to understand something that you who are, are more socially, more adept in social media, you can bring a different aspect to a team that maybe others can't. So um, one example is creating, you know, um, video tours. I post them on YouTube. It's nothing crazy in terms of, um, you know, content and, and new news. It's literally a space tour. I shoot it on my iPhone, but that allows our team more time. So on preliminary tours of spaces, a tenant or prospect can look at it, see if it really is a fit, 
And then you wouldn't necessarily have to drive the four hours for somebody who's, you know, sitting on the fence at maybe 10% if they really want to do the deal or not. You're doing tours with people who are, have so much information. They're like 75% and above. So you're, you're kind of mixing the two and um, you know, the digital army recognizes that, you know, not everybody is, is doing really creative content. They're cool with, with anything. If somebody wanted to learn something, they're always open to it. And it's not like there's a charge or anything. So if, you know, if I had a question on, on podcasts, you know, um, I feel like we'd be like, you're in my relationship. You would gladly share you know, this is how I do it. This is where, um, you know, the best microphone that, that I have found is, is via this. This is how you edit it. It's, it's a really just a cool group of organic individuals that have this common desire to just produce kind of funny and, and personal content about the commercial real estate industry, particularly retail. Commercial is such a data-driven process. We're talking about demographics, traffic counts, points of entry, uh, construction timelines and balance sheets. It's really kind of kind of stale, but um, it's been refreshing to see more personality come through as people not only talk about property, but you have this element of the person. You know, there's lots of people who have better education than me. They have more experience than me. Uh, maybe they're a, something like a CCIM or SIOR. They've got this designation that makes them uh, more qualified in some respect, but man, they've got the personality of a cardboard box. And so that may be a weakness that they have in their business. And I think that digital certainly allows for people to get to know, like you talked about common interest. Is this a person who I can work with? Do I like spending time with them on the phone? Cause we're, if we're going to go to war together to use your, your army metaphor, uh, you want someone <laughs> that you can, you can count on and and hopefully enjoy, you know, when you're in the battle and someone who can bring those moments of levity. What have you found as a trend in the, the types of content that's being posted on LinkedIn or um, anywhere for that matter? Yeah. And, and I see it on, you know, in the digital army, we did, you know, a little intro into who we are. And it was at the beginning of football season. And, you know, I will admit from a personality standpoint, you know, when I'm talking business and stuff, it, I, maybe I'm not cracking jokes or, you know, I, you kind of have to get to know me a little bit more. So I'm not, I'm getting better at posting my personality, but on a first interaction, it doesn't always come out. But I, I worked to get the, uh, the idea for the football intro because it was a little bit funny, but it also showed who people were and it was an engaging video. You know, football has nothing to do with commercial real estate, but the purpose of it was to get people's attention and get people to know, you know, the names and areas of, of the members of the digital army. And I've seen that translate into, and, and, you know, my team at the shopping center group has really worked on this, even with standard marketing brochures. And they don't have to have jokes or anything, but we're, what I'm talking about is, you know, a lot of them are, are data driven to your point, and it's very technical. We try to just use pictures. So we'll integrate drone photography, infographics. You know, instead of looking at this whole page of numbers, what are the key ones that this retailer or, or tenant might want to know? Um, what's the big picture? And, and have it be so that when you look at it, it's just like a third grade reading level storybook style program. And, and I think that that in itself has is, is been really effective. Um, I don't know if all that answers your question, but I'm, I'm really seeing a trend towards, 
you know, people trying to be more creative with either the, the traditional content or the new, new stuff that's coming out that might be, you know, an Instagram story or, or LinkedIn story. Are you on any of the government relations stuff? I know you've got a background in politics, but do you follow kind of what's going on from a policy standpoint as it affects commercial real estate? I do, um, but not, I'm not super granular. It's more big picture. So when they're, you know, I'll read through ICSE. I find that they have pretty informative um, information on that. Um, but, but that is an area that I do want to kind of continue to grow my, my involvement. It feels like those have similar dynamics where, you know, I'm interested enough in that these policies affect our industry. But when you get into the weeds of legislation, it is really dry and, and not fun at all. Kind of like reading a lease. I, I can I can really appreciate what's going on big picture and some of the finer details. You know, you move a comma and make it a period and you just transfer $75,000 worth of risk. It takes a long time to get into the nuances of what some of these things mean inside of a lease. Same thing is true with legislation and, and reading about it. Yeah, it affects us. It's important. But uh, the more big picture bullet point, here's how this could potentially work. Those things grab attention. And in the way that I would market properties, it has been less about giving all of the granular information and more of just an, enough for that prospect to want to take the next step. Pick up the phone and call. Mm-hmm. Send me an email. Right? We're looking for that next step in engagement. What do you think is the next step in engagement that the CRE Digital Army is going to have out there and maybe like the next couple of years? Where do you see it going? Yeah, great question. And, and engagement in terms of what, though? Because to me, there's a couple of different avenues you could go down. I mean, in terms of a deal process or the engagement just with the, you know, anybody interested in that industry in general. Great counter question. Uh, thanks for throwing it back at me. Let me. I can do. <laughs> I can do. Like, I can do the industry in general, and I can already tell yeah, you where well, this is going. For, for podcasting, when we when we set this up, we were talking about um, it's difficult to track the the ROI on the time I spend doing a podcast, and and when that actually translates into a deal, and I get a check from it, is is almost as ambiguous as why it's worth it to go to an ICSE, you know, cocktail hour three thousand miles away and spend, you know five grand for being able to rub elbows with people in real estate. And it might take years before that translates into a deal. Right. Um, And it's difficult to track, but, but we do it because we know that it works and it's more like farming than it is like hunting. We're planting seeds and then we just nurture that over time. And eventually we're able to get the benefit from it. And the same way that you're planting seeds with the CRE digital army, I would expect that as a professional, somehow, you are going to be able to connect that to a deal that gets done at some point in the future. And as the, as the army kind of takes its next steps forward, um, as you continue to, as it continues to build and grow, what are your expectations for um, outcomes? um, Not just with deal volume, but in terms of its ability to engage a larger audience. I think that it'll, it'll bring light to, the next generation and show them 
you know, it's a fun business, kind of the ins and outs of it. It's not really known to many people and it's intimidating, you know, being commission only, not everybody's out there saying, Hey, I want to split commissions with somebody and, you know, have them quit on me in a year. There's a lot of turnover for, for new brokers. So the other piece to it that I think is cool, our business, we don't, you know, one company doesn't hire 30 people and, you know, have the top three or five of them stay on. It's usually one person. So this, this provides an outlet for creativity together and to grow together, even though you might be in different markets, you know, it provides somebody else who is in your peer group that you can connect with on a digital level if, if maybe they don't exist in your firm. So I think the biggest issue to our business is the next, you know, the current and, and next generation entry into it. And, and continuing to learn these skills, which are invaluable for real estate, and they can be translated to many other industries. So um, what we're seeing a lot of is, is people reaching out. Hey, this looks really cool. How do I be a part of it? You know, my, my company doesn't do social media stuff, and this looks like it would be really fun. So it, personal connection and, and instilling hope that this is a business that's evolving even though everything you read is the XYZ store is closing, this is closing, retail's dead, it doesn't mean our industry is. And, um, you know, I think that that's a really big component. I, I think the other thing is just growing with the group of people. So I get to have one-off conversations with somebody this week and then the next week, and I get to know their business lines better. I can keep them in mind for opportunities, um, you know, as well. And, and, just grow with them in the business and have fun. So it's not really something I know benefits will come from it, but you know, we just enjoy helping each other because we have that, that common bond. Uh, but, but the biggest hope is, is really that we're providing value for, you know, the existing um, people in our, our industry as well as those to come in the future. I don't know who the author or the source of the quote is, but the idea that necessity is the mother of invention in a world where we weren't impacted by COVID-19. Do you think that the, the rapid growth of CRE digital army would have been as much as it has been? Probably not. Um, no, I love that quote and I, I totally understand what you're saying and and we would not have started meeting on on zoom probably in the same capacity and it's not just because the necessity of using digital technology but at the clip in which we were going you know one founding member is is jay siano i got connected with him to be one of my mentors he would not have had the opportunity and the time to uh be available for me to even call him at the rate in which commercial real estate was going because everyone was doing so much. And in that lull, it gave us all an opportunity to kind of pull back and just re-get to know and, and meet new people. And, and that was really the foundation was, what can we be doing to take this to the next step? Oh, hey, here's this person here, this person here, this person here. Let's, let's throw it on a Zoom call and see what happens. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's... That's one of the coolest things about his philosophy is it's not really, let's not overthink it. Let's just roll with it. And if it evolves out of it, cool. Let's start here. 
That reminds me of a story I heard about, I think it was Guy Kawasaki, in, I think early in the 80s when he was with Apple. He talks about don't be afraid to be crappy and how the original Apple computer, when you when you look at what it provided from a technological perspective, uh, certainly compared to today, it was just kind of crappy. <laughs> and if they didn't, if they didn't just take the idea and, and let the coolness of the idea get out, you know, so people could see it and touch it and work on it and then develop it, it never would have happened. If you're waiting for it to be a perfect thing, right? Then it's it's never going to get launched. Totally agree. And I mean, even even this podcast right now, I mean, I'm I'm sure that you thought of of questions but it's also you know we could have done a whole prep session and you know let's let's touch on this topic and say these words and this verbiage and you know it's just it's a very free-flowing organic conversation and and that's it's a big hurdle for people who really try and I, I strive to do my best in everything so admittedly yeah if I think that it wasn't good enough maybe I just don't post that LinkedIn article when really, you know, sometimes there's mistakes and things and that's okay. I love uh, learning about life by contrasting my habits against uh, my wife's. And so <laughs> when we travel, I'm like, give me, um, give me a budget, like say a thousand bucks and a week and I'll just figure it out. I mean, I'll just, I'll just take off, you know, and have an incredible memory. My wife, on the other hand, She's on bedbugs.com. She wants to know the mileage between point A and point B and arrive. I mean, she's a logistics genius. And uh, those values are really important to know where we're going. What are we going to do? I mean, let's almost pre-plan what we're going to order off the menu. And I am being a little bit facetious and, and uh, inflating <laughs> those differences, but but it's true in, in your career, you can plan meticulously. I'm going to go to this school. I'm going to get this degree. I'm going to, you know, go to this firm, but that doesn't really account for things to break down and to, to grow and to learn and to adjust. And there's really not much adventure when you have it mapped out and you just try to follow the plan. And I admire those who really have that skill set to, develop a plan, stick to the plan, work the plan. And you and I have sales jobs. This is a sales process that we're working through. But I think this business teaches us to be more malleable and to understand that we have to roll with things that just don't work out. Right. <laughs> what, are, what, are, what are some of the things that have not worked out for you that you've been able to grow from and then apply into your business as a broker? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, you talk about plans and school and all that. I, I attended the University of South Carolina. And when I went there, I was gung-ho on the international business program. It's the number one, one, number one program in the country for undergrad. Um, you know, and, and I had gone to France on a high school exchange project. And I was like, this, this sounds cool. You apply your sophomore year. And I remember that, you know, I had invested into the school, invested into the academics. You know, I was in the French program and they only took 25 kids into this international business program. And I got the letter, I was waiting and I got rejected. 
And I was super bummed. I was like, I had banked everything on this. You know, what, what am I supposed to do now? You know, I'm just in the business school. I mean, wonderful. But what I learned from that was just because I didn't get into the program didn't mean I couldn't have an international business experience. So I ended up doing, working through the study abroad office. I went to Grenoble École de Management in Grenoble, France. Phenomenal program. I had five courses. Each course, there was three professors for each one. And they, they had different two-week stints or two or three-week stints. And each one was from a different part of the world. So in that semester, I not only got to travel Europe, live in the French Alps, I, I also got this academic experience unlike any other. And they challenged you in all these different ways. And I, I just, I had learned through that, you know, you can plan out that you want to do X, Y, Z. And sure, you wanted to be in that program, but it doesn't mean you can't achieve that on your own here. So yes, I would love to have a CCIM degree, but it doesn't mean that I can't, you know, I can read the books and still gain that knowledge if, if maybe, you know, financially I wasn't in a place to do it. So you learn to see your goal and be able to work through the obstacles and still achieve that same, that same goal. But there's so many different ways of getting there. And if your lens is so focused on just this one way, you know, it'll create road, roadblocks for you that you can't get around. Um, so I thought that that was, from a career standpoint, that translates far beyond just academics. But, you know, you can't move to Charlotte, North Carolina. You don't have a job. I totally understand that, but I'm going to do it anyway. And one of the resources I had was my uh, one of my best friends from college and his wife had a guest room. And I know they thought that I was going to stay there for maybe a week or two, and it ended up <clears throat> maybe being four or five months, but uh, <laughs> I was super appreciative. And I was able to get on my feet and get a job in a market I wanted to be in. And, you know, we laugh about those times, but uh, it, it just, that's that's a life lesson that, you know, you can carry with you for forever. So that, that's probably one of the biggest ones um, for me. And, and the other one was, you know, putting your ego aside and just understanding the other side of the table. Um, and then that was with the career. So I didn't get this role, but what, what were the reasons that I didn't get it? Not a lot of people ask that question. It's tough. It's an emotional time. If you didn't get a job, you know, you're just kind of frustrated. But, but learning to, to figure out why not and then improve on those. So in the future, your position to get that role, I think is also, you know, an extremely valuable thing to keep in mind as you, as you move in your career and, and in life in general. What is a perspective that a career in commercial real estate has given you that you didn't expect? Okay, that's a really good, that's a good one. You cannot, I mean, everybody has value. And I learned this from uh, a close friend of mine who, you know, I did the, uh, the gumball vending deals. I was telling you that. And if you really peel back the numbers, you know, she paid a significant amount of rent to our company as a whole for all of her units. It's a non-perishable item. She owns the machines for it. All the vendors go in on the same repair person for each region. So she's making a solid profit off of it. And 
you know, you, you kind of look at that relationship and you say it's just the gumball machines, but the person behind it, um, you know, lo and behold, she ended up doing Halloween stories stores with us. She and I ended up collaborating on different, you know, kiosk and, and um, we call them the carts, but cart ideas. So she would use our program, our company, and test some of these out in some of the malls, just as like an example, a pet costume kiosk. And just see if the idea works. The, the perspective was you can look at something like ancillary income for a mall company, a vending machine, um, and it has much more value than, than maybe what it shows on paper. And those relationships can lead to other things that you never even imagined. You know, I could just do the renewals for the gumballs, but lo and behold, you get to know the person behind it, and maybe there's more there than, than meets the eye. And I think the second part from that, you know, specialty leasing component was, you know, it, there was a concept called those animals. And it was kind of a joke, really. I mean, it was these giant plush stuffed animals and you could ride them around. And I remember I presented the idea to my boss. And at the time, he kind of rolled his eyes and said, go do something that's worth your time. And um, <laughs> lo and behold, like six months later, those animals had a spot in almost every mall in the country. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you, it just because you wouldn't use it doesn't mean other people wouldn't. Um, but, you know, you've got to keep an open mind to some of these ideas. And uh, we had a meeting with them at, at the Spree conference in Vegas. And I did request that they ride one of the animals to the meeting. <laughs> well but um, but I think I think the point is, you know, you can look at, at the, uh, the housing crisis. You know, everybody was buying a house and doing all that because everyone else was doing it. You can't always follow the herd mentality. You have to really take an approach where, you know, you look at somebody and understand why they do something and, and see what you can learn from it. And I'm going to give you one more. And this, I know your question was specifically, how has commercial real estate shaped that? Um, but if I go back to working in that governor's office, there was a guy that came in who picked up the shred bins and I got to know him and, and he was, I'll never forget this, but you know, he was talking about why he does what he does. And he loved working for the shredding company because it allowed him to work from nine o'clock till three o'clock. And he said, I just love my kids so much. I can drop them off at school and pick them up. And, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I, I feel like, and this is not to talk down on, on certain jobs, but you know, some people have stigmas towards, you know, you do X, Y, Z, I do this, or, or I do this, and I feel bad about it because you do this. And if you, if you took those layers away, you can learn that, you know, that guy really had a good work-life balance, and, and it's something to aspire for. So just, just don't, don't judge things as, as how they appear and really take the time to, to kind of see the value because it's, there's value in anything. I was really humbled and I, I love the fact that you and I both have read experience with malls because malls are, are almost negatively. Uh, the only thing you read about them right now is negative. And I've got so many good growth experiences from doing deals inside the mall. And um, I remember when I went to my first ICSC, I mean, I thought I was awesome. I was fortunate that when I started in commercial real estate, I had a couple of really good deals and 
and several that followed back to back. And my first year was going to be a really good income year for me. And then um, I went to ICSC and then um, realized I'm, I'm one of, I don't know, 60 or 70,000 people, <laughs> you know, across the nation that, that do this. And uh, just the sheer volume, you know, out there was humbling. And then to see how many different types of jobs in commercial real estate exist. And you can have a path that leads you, you know, down retail or you can do industrial, you know, property management, and there's mm-hmm. all these ancillary uh, offshoots. Um, marketing or whatnot but uh the the theme i think that that's almost impossible for us not to connect on i think it's one of the original reasons why we had such a good connection in charlotte is because that there's more to it than than what we're doing it's not just deal making it's relationship building it's life living and uh that it teaches us something new all the time so I've done this for 15 years. I'm 42, so a decade older than you. And and I'm learning something from you, you know, in this call. I couldn't have planned it. But uh, n- but nonetheless, it's really enriching. So we're not going to make any money off this podcast, but, uh, but it doesn't mean I'm not richer for having had the conversation. And um, that's always been a consistent theme, you know, when we talk. And I want to just say, you're going to be, you know, wildly successful. And I hope that's true in the monetary sense, but, uh, but even if it's not true in, in that sense, um, man, you're just a, a, a great inspiration, I think, for the generation of brokers that are coming up. And if there's anything that we can do, man, to help you be successful, we're, we're a fan. <laughs> you have me speechless on that one. That was, that was very kind. I, I really appreciate that. And, and, you know, I, throw it right back at you, man, because it, I don't do it for everybody where, you know, somebody I'm on the phone with somebody and I just saw you in passing. I remember this, this was in Atlanta. I was like going down the stairs and I was like, I got to call you back. I just, I got to go. And I was like, Justin, you know, and it's, you're, you're a very genuine person and and anything I can do to support you. I know, you know, that I I would gladly do that as well. But um, to your point, it, you gotta, you can't just look at the dollars. I mean, you'll, you'll burn out. You'll, yeah. it's just, you're not going to have the same joy and passion that, that really leads to genuine lifelong success in it. It's, it's really genuinely caring about the people because that's what the business ultimately is. And, you know, to your point, I, I, I may be, you know, you may be the owner of Sears and just because Sears failed as a retail concept, look at their real estate. And if you had that relationship, you know, then you can translate. That's just an example in that realm. But um, I think it is all about those relationships. And it's, you know, a lesson to anybody. If somebody stops you in the hallway to say hi or at a cocktail party, take, take the time to be present, right? You never know what'll happen. It's been a great experience to catch up, man. And I want to welcome you back to the podcast anytime. <laughs> I, I'll look forward to doing it. And uh, trust you, me, I will be uh, posting this out. And, and uh, the Digital Army Instagram story will, will have us out there. Have a great one, man. We'll talk right. soon. Happy Friday. Have a great weekend. that was a lot of fun. I hope you got something out of it. I certainly did. 
If you'd like to get notifications about upcoming podcasts, you can email me at jsterling at That's J, my last name, Sterling, at K-O-E-L-L-A-M-O-O-R-E.com. Let me know, and I will update you as soon as we have new podcasts that come out. You can also follow me on LinkedIn. It's where most of my content is posted, and whatever platform you listen to this on, you can subscribe and like. You'll probably get notifications there as well. Again, thank you for tuning in. Stay safe, and we'll talk soon.